0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Going Purple with me Lissy McIntosh where we talk about serious F1 stuff in a not so serious way. Hello everyone! How are we all? How are we doing? I, <laughs> I was just thinking to myself wow I really smashed my intro today. Sometimes I really, it's a bit of a tongue twister um, when you say it quickly. Hello everyone and welcome back to Going Purple with me, Back tash where we talk about serious f in and not so serious. Try it. Seriously, it seriously sometimes can get you um, in a bit of a twist. But anyway, enough about that. A happy end of the 2022 F1 season. Can we believe it's the end? Can we believe it's all wrapped up? It's all over. I I mean I can because I was there when it ended and it was actually really sad um just just to dive straight in I mean being there in Abu Dhabi for Seb's last race for Daniel's last race it was very emotional and I think it's one of those races that I will never forget in my F1 career you know seeing Seb do his final donuts getting out of his car for that final time it was very very special and I'm really glad that you guys enjoyed the content that came from the weekend as well working with MP Motorsport in F2 with Clem and Felipe Drogovic who are both absolute legends and so so fun and lovely to film with and um yeah I've, i the, I mean the response is have from the content and from the interviews have been incredible so thank you guys so much as usual um it's not the end I mean I know it's the winter break but I can't tell you too much but things won't be stopping for too long for me um and even over the winter break there are going to be some very very exciting things coming up um some of which are actually happening this week. So you'll find out very soon what all the things I'm up to. um, I can't wait to share them with you all. And I, yeah, I'm really excited to, you know, keep, keep working and keep going. And, And also it's a lot of, a lot of planning, negotiating contracts for next season at the minute. And again, I will tell you everything that I'll be up to next season shortly, but I already know it's, I know it'll be hard to beat, but I just already feel like it's going to be better than this one um although there have been some moments this season which I just have altered my brain chemistry okay one of those did happen the other day and that was reaching a hundred k a hundred thousand people on tiktok who follow me guys I I did cry um I posted my reaction I felt a bit like vulnerable but you know what it's you guys who it's you guys who made me cry (laughs) I was gonna say that sounds really bad I mean it in the best possible way I say a lot oh I couldn't do this without you guys and I think you don't realize how much I actually mean it not just in the you know the 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 engagement and and the number of people who actually support me but also just in the daily messages and comments and the thank you Lissy and the you can do this Lissy like they genuinely make me feel and remind me of of how how incredible this community is and that's something that I'm so incredibly proud of um, and I'm proud of all of you you know you, you guys always say it to me but I'm proud of all of you too you know everyone is going through something tough as I've realized um, and as I keep realizing as I get older um, and so you know I'm proud of all of you as well and I think we're going to be fine, a lot of you have said, I don't know what I'm going to do with the F1 winter break, it flies by, seriously, can you believe where you were three months ago, actually, let me work backwards, November to October, October to September, is that right, <laughs> hmm. I think it was the end of August, I was in Zanville three months ago, come on, that has flown by, think about where you were three months ago, and I'm sure you'll surprise yourself at how, how quickly time passes, I really hope that was three months ago, otherwise that's really embarrassing, Anyway, as I say, the season has come to an end. There is so much to unpack, to talk about, and that is exactly what I wanted to do in this very episode. And I thought, who better to do it with than an incredibly esteemed, Incredibly intelligent F1 journalist. This is the general editor at ESPN, Nate Saunders, who I have joining me on the podcast today. We talk about so much. We talk about Mattia Bonotto leaving Ferrari. We talk about you know the the teammate rivalries that have popped out throughout the season. We talk about the rookies on the grid next year and everything in between. We said at the end, it's like a big F1 therapy session. <laughs> and that is literally how I felt about it we talk about everything guys it's going to be such a fun episode for you to listen to I can't wait thank you so much to for to ESPN oh my god I can't speak thank you so much to ESPN for making this podcast possible. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. I'm not going anywhere though, as I say. So let me know on my socials what you would like from the podcast over the winter break, which guests you'd like to see. Um, I have a few fun ones lined up, but as you know, I'm always open to suggestions as well. So enjoy this episode, guys. Make sure to let me know what you thought of it and I will see you all very soon. Okay, let's get into it amazing so i am joined by espn's f1 general editor nate saunders nate thank you so much for joining me on the podcast how are you
1: i'm great thanks so much for having me on i'm excited this is um good chance to chat some like proper f1 you know where the season's done we're never (laughs) done talking about it which i like
0: no exactly i feel like i could honestly talk about f1 for hours um and i actually have a place to do it which is the best job in the world so um Tell me a little bit about firstly, what you do at ESPN and what your job entails. Obviously ESPN is huge in the States. Do you work in yeah. the UK and how does that all work for you?
1: Yeah, I do. So when, when people see ESPN as my job, you know, where I work they expect an American accent especially when they see the name Nate as well I think they think it's (laughs) definitely American and I'm told I've got quite a well-spoken English accent so I think a lot of people are surprised when they hear that um but yeah I mean right now F1 in America is just it's booming it's crazy you know three races there people talking about a fourth one I'm not sure about you but I'm so excited about Vegas the idea of that even happening is is nuts but um the job itself I mean it's kind of it's kind of funny it's kind of evolved from just being sat at a desk in London in our office in Hammersmith Mm -hmm. to attending races to to doing a lot more stuff like this you know talking on podcasts and stuff like that um i've been on sports center which is one of our biggest shows a couple times now um which is crazy you know it's just this evolution of talking about formula one and on the on the other side of it the interest being there to actually talk about it because i think about Mm. four or five years ago maybe an american would know you know lewis hamilton's name maybe and the next racing name they'd know would either be kind of andretti or you know, Dale Earnhardt or something. And I'm, I'm generalizing, there was obviously a lot of American Formula One fans, but a lot of people now who are watching it have come in, you know, from Drive to Survive and from other things, but mainly from there. Mm. Um, so yeah, you're just seeing this incredible uh, influx of stuff. So I, I, I write a lot on our website. Um, my colleague, Lawrence Edmondson, he and I basically share our writing duties We're at most of the races, uh, in fact, we one of us was at every race uh, this this year. So- Wow. And you get to talk to a lot of people, you get, um, you know, a lot of interviews, a lot of insider kind of, in- insight and gossip and stuff like that. Um and yeah, so at this point of the year, your brain's kind of <laughs> slowly decompressing and you know, you're just getting, getting through everything. So um
0: and uh, yeah. you get to do it all again next season. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So my friends kind of make fun of me a lot because in December and especially in January, I'm always like, guys, I'm doing nothing, you know, <laughs> but like I say, but, you know, for nine months of the year it is it is pretty flat out. So I'm sure you I'm sure you could appreciate that as well.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think the travel is just I mean, it's a it's kind of a double edged sword. It's something I'll never complain about. But you're right. it's So full on at times. Um, and the one yeah. I'm most excited about maybe next season is Vegas is up there. I just I yeah. can't quite picture it. I, I mean, even Austin, even looking at how I wasn't at Miami, but I was in Austin. And I think even how big of an event these races have become, I just can't quite picture what Vegas is really going to look like.
1: Yeah, same. And I think, I mean, just the concept of it, you know, dr- racing down the strip, I think, because I, <laughs> I always assumed when they said Vegas Grand Prix, I always assumed, okay, th- it's going to be outside Vegas and the backdrop will be the city. <laughs> like, most, and then when they actually released the map, I, I heard about two days before, it's like, no, it's down the strip. And I was like, I don't believe that. Yeah, right. Like, as actually, if. <laughs> I I was like, like, no way. Like, how do you shut down one of the most famous cities in the world? Because that's always been the thing against the London Grand Prix, isn't it? Yeah. Like, shut London down, Even with Monaco. I, with.
0: I mean, it's crazy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and Monaco. We we always we always have said when we've gone there, Monaco. If if well, maybe we're wrong actually but thinking about Vegas. But I always felt with Monaco, if you tried to put that race on from scratch today, they'd say absolutely no way we're doing this. Mm-hmm. But because it's been going since the fifties, and it's it, it is the race it is. It's kind of there, but maybe Vegas suggests that cities now are willing to do it. But yeah, I can't get my head around Vegas either. It's going to be going to be nuts. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think you're right. Vegas and Monaco is an interesting is, is an interesting point there, because there is a, you know, an argument that Monaco shouldn't really be on the calendar anymore. What does it bring? Well, it brings the history. But I think with Vegas and a big push and a big push in the States, you know, it, it's this new surge of F1 and and modern glamour. And I think that's so exciting. And I'm really excited to watch that play out.
1: Um, so, yes. Vegas is almost like the the drive to survive generations Monaco, I feel like, you know, (laughs) it's a bit more, you know, and and I love, you know, I've been to Vegas once, like, I love that city, but it's, it feels a bit more accessible, whereas Monaco maybe doesn't, so. I thought yes. like maybe that's the way those two races might play out but I think
0: that's so interesting. I think accessible is a great word to use especially when talking about drive to survive. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. We've moved away slightly from F1 being a sport that's that's only and solely reported on to one that's mm-hmm. spoken about and and what we're doing now is is so cool because it brings so many more people together than we'd think. Um yeah, and so I don't I don't know though. Do you think there'll be like kids at, at Vegas? Surely not. I
1: mean- Maybe not kids. I mean, unless they've got very generous parents, because some of those <laughs> kids are very expensive. Um, but I, I feel like more maybe if you're asking if you're asking younger people, maybe do you want to watch Monaco or do you want to watch a race in Vegas? And they had to pick yeah. one. Feel so like even the first Vegas, maybe the the kind of it might wear off. You know, the if the, the race novelty, is, the race yeah, isn't I gray, agree. The novelty will wear off, but I think that first one definitely people are gonna they're gonna be all over Vegas. So. I'm excited. Um, I, mean, I
0: certainly will be. <laughs> I'm excited. Well, looking at this season then, I'm going to ask you to round up what has been, honestly, such an incredible season. Um, mm. I want to see if you can do it in three three words to round up your, your 2022 oh, wow. season.
1: It's 2022 season, I would say, uh, and they can just be just three about the whole, the yeah. whole year. I'd say dominant, frustra- frustrating, and then I'm going to hyphenate because I'm a journalist and I'm, I'm trying to get away with it <laughs> and, and what might have been. But let's hyphenate. Oh, so that
0: well. does not count. Sorry. I'm sorry.
1: sorry. Okay, no. Uh, um, nearly, maybe? That, no, that okay, fine. One.
0: I, do we'll you know what's funny? Be... I think I can pinpoint each of those each one. to a which team.
1: One? Yeah, which one so, do you think is each one? I mean, go Dominant.
0: dominant. It's, it's, it's Max Verstappen. It's Red Bull, yeah. realistically. Yeah. I would say frustrating is Ferrari. Yes. and. What could have been?
1: Mercedes? Well, it's, yeah, it's Mercedes. And I feel like it's a few other, you know, like McLaren and Alpine. You know, I feel like maybe uh, they could have been closer to the mm-hmm. front. You know, it's a few teams. You know, Aston Martin were kind of nowhere. So there are a yeah. few teams that you thought maybe could have been further up. But I think domination and frustration are the two because one only happened because of the other one. You know, Max yes, I agree. so dominant. I mean, the car was great and he did great. But, you know, Ferrari... It's kind of the elephant in the room, isn't it? It yeah. was just like, oh man, you guys. I don't know about you, but I was so excited about the Ferrari Championship Challenge, and after mm-hmm. two after those first two wins, I thought it's happening, it's on, and then it just fell apart. So now I'm never going to think to myself, Ferrari going to win a championship ever again.
0: Oh, ever again. That's it.
1: Because well, I feel like every time I do, they don't. So hopefully. I <laughs> so do, if you
0: don't think it will happen,
1: yeah, if that's fine. am <laughs> putting F1 gods into into it happening by just saying no, it's not going to happen this year. It's never going to happen.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. I think from what i was thinking about i think the season in a way was quite unexpected but for the reasons that you've said i think i came into the season with massive expectations of mercedes of ferrari after those first few races and it turned out to be something completely different um i also
1: unexpected is a good word as well
0: i've said close i think the racing Mm -hmm. was so i think if you are a new fan, maybe you started watching F one last season. You were in such you were in for such a treat last season, and this season I think it's been rewarding in different ways. In the fact that the midfield has been so close, and I don't think it's been spoken about enough. Um, and actually, I think that's been one of the most rewarding things to watch as as a fan ultimately of the sport. Um, but also, I've put political down as well because I think this yeah, season actually, has been political.
1: Cool. Is a great your, your yours are much better than mine. I've got to say. No, Political no, no, was a really great word, actually, because I think that this year, even with what happened last year with Abu Dhabi and everything, maybe because the season at the front panned out the way it did. Mm. It did seem like we spent most of the year talking about stuff that wasn't racing, didn't it? You know, especially yeah. from like summer break onwards. Um, but even before then, you know, with the porpoising and Mercedes wanting one the cars to go one way and Red Bull saying, no, like we don't want these rule changes. So, yeah, that's good let's yeah. let's go with your your three words can, can be no we can mix the them way. into
0: six we'll just plaster yes, those all nice. over everywhere <laughs> um <laughs> but talking about frustrating and political i think there's one piece of news that has come out today that we definitely need to touch on and that is matteo bonotto resigning as team principal of ferrari what do you make of the whole situation
1: yeah i'm not sure whether it's resigning in kind of quote unquote marks you know bonotto's been there for so long i think he joined ferrari in 95. Mm-hmm. i think um i I feel like it's probably a situation where they've said look you're not going to stay here but we'd rather you left on your own terms than Mm. not there was a report in motorsport.com today that he didn't feel he had the support of john alkin ferrari president so it could be one of one of you know one of those two things but not too surprising is it given the year they had Mm. and i just one of the most frustrating things was that strategy was so bad throughout the year reliability was so bad throughout the year and it just never seems to get any better yeah. And I think that you have to eventually you have to look at the team and say, right, clearly something's not right there. I'm not actually convinced that getting rid of Bonotto is the answer. I think you've got to almost kind of completely redraw up that team, you know, from top to bottom and just say, right, clearly we can build a car. They've proven that this year. Mm-hmm. But in terms of operating it across the season, I'm not sure that that's that's something they can do. So it'll be interesting to see if he follows him. But I'm not surprised. And um to be honest with you, I thought Bonotto was lucky to get away with 2019, which is when Ferrari had that legal engine yeah you know had the settlement but he kind of stayed in charge for two years so I feel like he probably was on borrowed time anyway but what about you were you surprised waking up to see that
0: I I was and I wasn't I think speculation is second nature in F1 you know reports yeah. were starting around Abu Dhabi and I I tend to not think too much of it until anything's confirmed these days um yeah. but I think it's, it's you're a, right a yeah <laughs> just in life in general just
1: generally especially <laughs> in social media you see so many reports now and you're like, okay, I don't even know where to start with this one, but Honestly, it might be true. Might I, there's be
0: so true. many rumours, you know, and I think, yeah. yeah, you're right. I think you're in saying that Matteo Bonotto, he was the one ultimately that left, but I don't think it's, it's all his fault. And I think... It's kind of parallel to the situation with Michael Massey last year. I don't think it was yes. all Michael Massey's fault. I think Abu Dhabi in particular, yeah, he made an error. And I would say that one was on his shoulders. But as a team principal, you take on a role as as a representative of the team, really. So, of course, it's easiest to scapegoat Mattia. Um, and yeah i mean i don't know what's going to come next i think he's he said you know people are always trying to criticize us and distract us and i can't imagine especially with you know ferrari being as special as it is in italy and such a national treasure i can't imagine what what he's been through this year and i think that's something that people won't talk about enough um and yeah i yeah. mean you know maybe, you're right maybe his time has come i saw an interview where michael schumacher is kind of going around the garage yeah. and he's like oh and here's um our engineer Matteo bonotto and my mind was like blown from you know and you can't believe that you're really watching yeah. something
1: and the funny thing is he looks if you were to just say to someone draw me a young Mattia Bonotto and you kind of feel <laughs> like a silly he looked exactly like a young Mattia Bonotto I was like oh my god he looks exactly like it's just hair. the
0: hair that's changed
1: yeah yeah the, the hair's just a bit more crazy now uh oh, sorry um, it was more crazy then maybe but yeah. um the Michael Massey comparison is a really good one I think I hadn't thought of it like that but you're right like it's <clears throat> it's getting rid of the figurehead when really maybe the institution is is the issue yeah. Um, you know, I've spoken to people at Ferrari this season and, mm-hmm. yeah, know, was really popular within the team. had been, like, you know, he'd been there so long. I think he felt like he was just part of that institution. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they have to replace him. They have to be smart with who they replace him with. Um, And, yeah, I think it was interesting, wasn't it, because Charles seemed so mad at the end of the season with basically everything. Yeah. Something had to change to kind of keep him on board. But um, we'll see if, if, if the right decisions are made from here.
0: Yeah, it's tough, I think, bringing fresh kind of fresh energy into the team is important but obviously there are only so many people who can really take on the role of team principal and I think that's why they'll choose mm-hmm. someone w- from within F1 and maybe even looking at Fred Vasseur. I know there was talks of even possibly Andreas Seidel. I doubt he'd leave McLaren um, but I think he'd be a great fit.
1: I think he would. I think um, Seidel I think is actually would be a great shout is whether Zac Brown would even let him close to leaving <laughs> so much into Andreas Seidel and I think Seidel is seen as a guy that has real potential to lead a, a front running team
0: Yeah.
1: I think if he doesn't go to Ferrari I think Audi will come in and say that a guy like that is who, you know, he's obviously got links with other manufacturers from from WEC but I think at the moment a lot of teams are like Seidel's the kind of guy you build a a growing mm-hmm. F1 team around so yeah. Seidel would be interesting and then as for Sir, I saw one linked Steiner, and I cannot, in, for the life of me, imagine Gunther Steiner being team boss at Ferrari. Can no just, way. He doesn't fit that mold at all. So I mean, as much as I'd love to see that, it'd be pure chaos. So I. Can't I would love see to
0: see that, but uh, maybe oh, it, it just be... happen for one race. <laughs> yeah. Just so yeah, we yeah, just we can load up
1: for the race. I mean, Netflix would be like, "Let's do it." You know, I think F one would say, "Yeah, why not?" Um, yeah. But yeah, it seems like for Sir, it sounds like he's the best option. But yeah, I think. One of the things that probably kept Benotto around for so long in Ferrari was exactly that point, was that it's not really that many people you can actually replace him with. Mm-hmm. So I think it's not like a football manager where, you, you know, someone leaves. It's like, whether well, here's 10 yeah. candidates straight away who are all out of work. It's like, well, actually, it's a pretty small paddock in terms of there's only 10 of them. Mm-hmm. And so it means there's only a few people with actual real life team boss experience. So that's probably helped him in the long run.
0: I find it funny how a lot of them have driven in the past. It makes me think who is going to be a team principal one day?
1: Yeah, are we gonna think, see
0: Max Verstappen
1: <laughs> uh, I'm not sure about Max I mean can you imagine Max would Max would rule the team in such an interesting way um I think Vettel I mean it's too early for Vettel to go to Ferrari you couldn't just put him in that job but Vettel well... seems not a team boss well I mean I thought i no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It, it, no <laughs> yeah. I mean he might he might suddenly be like you know what I am bored. sort of sitting on the sofa not having anything to do in a few weeks but um yeah. I think Vettel seems the most likely to become a team boss He's um, very
0: level headed so I could see yeah. that for sure. Um I, I, think, said, you know, I think you know you have
1: Russell eventually as well. I think Joe oh. Russell's 2030 years away but the way he thinks and the way he kind of talks about F1 I think he'll I think he'll be one too.
0: God, i'm gonna hold you to that we'll see in 30 yeah. years well,
1: okay well, <laughs> that's a long way down the line so you can roll this clip out in 30 years and we'll see we'll see where we're at
0: oh dear no but i think it's a great you know great point that team principals have to manage their teams and the relationship between their drivers very very carefully and i think that brings me on to another point about this season looking back you know there have been some insane teammate rivalries in the case of alpine ferrari at points you know after silverstone there was a bit of tension there of course with red bull as well what have you seen you know in terms of team dynamics has there been anything that you've picked up on when i would say f1 is it's a it's a weird sport in terms of it's a team sport that you have a teammate but it's very much not as well what do you make of all of that this season
1: yeah that and that part of it is one thing that i found a lot of we're talking again about America America, and Americans coming into F1. I think they find that so fascinating when I talk to people in America that you're, t- you're in a team, you talk about the team, but an F1 driver will always say, the one car I have to beat is my teammate. And they're like, well, yeah. why is that the case? And it's fascinating. I think what we've seen over the last few years is, and this is maybe over 10, 15 years, is there's been a move away from having a clear number one and a clear number two driver to being, let's have two very competitive drivers in the car. If you look at every team, I know, I mean, Red Bull, it's clear there's a number one and a number two, but Perez is hardly, you know, number two quality mm-hmm. in terms of these one races, et cetera. And he expects to be there and be, be able to race cleanly uh, and fairly. And I think that what that's done is it's created this sort of situation, which is great for the sport and the competitive competitiveness of it. Um, that you've got all these teams who have all these incredibly talented drivers who all think they're the best driver in the world. Yeah. And they're racing against each other, you know, and... Um, Yeah, there was, um, I mean, I'm fascinated to see what happens with Gasly going to Alpine, with Alonso. Alonso and Stroll next year could be complete box office because we all know what Alonso's like. And he's not afraid to criticise his team or his teammate, but he's going to a team where the guy he's going to be criticising his dad is the boss. So it's like, how's that going to work? I don't know. And he's there for three years. so. I think we're in this really special point where, and I, I I, wonder how much of it now is played up for the, the cameras as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it's heightened. I think sometimes they're going to the media pen now and they're like, oh, I can I'll have a little dig here. It's fine, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but yeah, I think we're living in a really special time for that for Formula One, because 15, 20 years ago, there was maybe two teams with genuinely, you're like, these two guys are probably similar level of talent.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: now it's, I'd say it's eight or nine teams where you look down and you say, these guys are really close together. Yeah. And obviously... You know, they 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 then are battling each other for place and qualifying, and that's when you start getting kind of petty about little things.
0: No, I completely agree, and I think with what we were saying about the midfield being so close, you know, I look at teams like Alfa Romeo and even Alpine, and and you're right, I wouldn't say there's a a number one and a number two driver there, but I think hmm. it gets trickier when you get further up you know, between yeah, Ferrari time. and and with Red Bull. I mean, you know, what do you make of that situation in Brazil? What do you think it says about the way Red Bull is, is run and what Max expects? And, and do you think he expects to be that number one driver? And, you know, Paris has helped him out so much this season. I just can't, I couldn't quite believe what happened, honestly.
1: Yeah, same. I, I couldn't believe it for the main reason being that it was for sixth position. Um, yeah. Rather than, like, if, if Max had been there and he'd been leading and they said, you know, give the win to, to, to Checo. And mm-hmm. I said, no, I, I get that. You know, a race win is special. It's, or a podium. You
0: know, it's, it's, you know, that's... A podium, yeah,
1: because that happened with the Ferraris, didn't it? With exactly. And, uh, and they said, you know, you don't want to take a podium away from someone. Mm-hmm. But for sixth position, I just thought, you know, it's just such a petty thing. They I obviously know. had managed it badly because they came out afterwards and said we didn't let him know till the final lap. There's some question marks over how true that is. But mm-hmm. you give them the benefit of the doubt. The Red Bull clearly were like, the blame's on us. The blame is not yeah. on Max. And that in itself was pretty interesting because it was kind of like, well, we don't want to upset Max, antagonize Max. Max was really on the offensive with us in the media. He was kind of like, you guys, Um, you know, he came out on the Thursday and said the media have kind of painted this picture of what happened. Um, You know, but I thought, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Max, you know, on a personal level, when you talk to him, he's actually he's Mm -hmm. very reasonable. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why. On the netflix show people were so annoyed with him but he does have that sorry uh, sorry why he was so annoyed with the netflix show rather than mm-hmm. the other way around but he does have that streak to him where i think he doesn't ever admit he's wrong in, in a lot of situations and i think that in the, this was a great example of that and he was like no i don't want to let him pass he kind of alluded to something happened earlier in the season which we think was monaco the team denied yeah. it was that but then didn't yeah. say what, it, what else it was so you have to assume monaco is the one um So, yeah, very interesting. But it's hard to see that and think this team isn't run by the Verstappens because, you know, it made Christian Horner look pretty weak. It made Helmut Marko look pretty weak, you know, in terms of who controls the team and who is calling the shots there. So uh, it'll be interesting if Checo remembers that, won't it, next year? And he's got Yeah, I think he will. The problem is he's rarely ahead of Max. But (laughs) if he is ever ahead of Max, I hope he remembers it and I hope (laughs) it at least makes his life a little difficult. Uh, Because, you know, I think that was the thing other people found so frustrating was it's not like Czech has been a bad teammate to him
0: not you know at all. Perrette,
1: um, Qatar last year and then Abu Dhabi last year you know the whole you know the uh, Mexican Minister of Defence stuff you know that all came from how good he was holding Lewis up and playing that role That he gave a win up in Spain so yeah it, it said a lot about the team and I think they were lucky that um, there was never a, a situation in Abu Dhabi where Max had to move over or not move over for Perez it all played out behind him he like disappeared into the distance and didn't have to didn't have to get a team order again because I don't know whether he'd have helped him again. I don't. I'm just not sure. Well, so. I don't
0: know, and I think going back to your point about P6, you know, it was helping his teammate get P2 in the championship, which ultimately is not the be-all and end-all. But you have yeah. to question, you know, was that did that also kind of take away his P2? Obviously, Charles was the one that ended up taking it in the end. It's all these little things that I don't think Paris will forget. Um, so it it's quite disrespectful
1: to Paris as well and to the I team. I agree.
0: I agree. You know,
1: and I think Max is a really, you know, Max is an unbelievable driver. I think one of the things I found when I criticised him for not doing the team orders was got a lot of tweets being like oh but you just hate Max the driver. I was like, no, I think Max is probably the best driver in F1 right now quite comfortably, yeah. Yeah. which means he doesn't need to do that either. You know, he, he it's not like Perez is threatening his position. I don't think over a season Perez is going to beat him to the championship. I I would love him to, but I'm just not sure it's going to happen. So it's yeah, it's a bizarre way to treat a guy who might have to help you next year if the season's close.
0: I agree. I think, you know, it's so I think the fact that F1 has moved so much further into social media is tough because, like you say, Mm -hmm. you'll say something about a driver or you have an opinion about an overtake or a move, something racing related. And people ultimately get so personal with you when, you know, it's true. I mean, you look at the way Carlos spoke after Brazil as well and he said I didn't know that that Charles was you know asking for possible team orders but if I had been asked I would have I would have moved over I'm a team player ultimately and it's just interesting to draw that comparison with Max there's no you know there's no hateful feelings towards him I agree I think he's you know been the best driver on the grid all season but um it is just interesting how the politics all come into it and personalities can can either match or can you know scratch whatever it is so It's, it, and it you is, wonder as
1: well with with that, you know, they they did a really good job of cleaning it all up. I thought in the week in the days before Abu Dhabi, yeah. But you could tell. I think there was a clip of Perez and Max after qualifying when they like posed for a picture, and it was like posing for a picture with someone you don't really like or with an <laughs> ex or something, where you like smile and as soon as the cameras are off, it was like blank face done, oh, and they just dear. they walked in separate directions. And you can read too much into those moments because oh, at, at the same time other stuff could be happening. But I was like, I think there's some. Some lingering stuff there especially on the on the Perez side so yeah um so yeah well
0: I mean looking at Red Bull they've got another change next season as well with Daniel Ricciardo going back coming back yeah. home as he's called it I mean how weird I... was that
1: sitting in back in back in Red Bull colours I, I it took me a right. while to to get used to that I thought it was an old picture
0: it. and I was like yeah. oh my gosh this is, is this yeah day?
1: and then there was him and Horner and I was like no that's that's new you know Horner's got like <laughs> It looks like 2022 Horner, not 2018
0: Horner. Honestly, when he was like, I'm coming home to mum and dad, I was like, that's not the way you left Red Bull. Um, So I wonder how how it's all really come about and how he's really feeling about the move back. Because, of course, Daniel Ricciardo left because, I mean, we've just had a chat about one and two drivers. He didn't want to be number two driver. And I think... Ultimately that may have been his downfall for the last few years. I I do think he had a great you know a great spell at Renault, but obviously with McLaren it just never quite worked and then coming back to Red Bull, what do you think that says about about Daniel Ricciardo's future?
1: Yeah, it's it's a move we definitely I mean no one would have thought this was the move he was making even 6 months ago, you know, going into that summer break. Yeah. Um it's a difficult one because I think what happened behind the scenes and was actually interesting kind of being connected to different people when this was all going down in August and September. Yeah. So I think that the first thing that Ricardo wanted was a move to Alpine. He said, I want to go to Alpine, you know, their car is right next to McLaren. It would be a nice chance to race against McLaren and kind of not only show them what they gave up, but maybe kind of rekindle what he had at Renault. Cause like you say, he was great there. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I think it just, it became clear quite quickly that Alpine actually said, no, we don't actually, don't actually want you in the seat because yeah. the way he left kind of upset a lot of people there you know yeah. it was it was 2020 wasn't it he he said I'm going to McLaren and then he had a season left yeah racing with them so they were already like well you already left us basically um and I think it became clear quickly that Haas and Williams he was like don't no want to go to those two so then I you're like I don't know okay.
0: why though I think that's yeah
1: it's, it's well, strange isn't it because I mean Haas I think if now they've got the, the, the title sponsor as well they've got money and yeah. they can probably upgrade the car, like, and look at what happened with Bottas this year. You know, he went to a smaller team and just drove the wheels off it most weekends.
0: Oh, and now it's agree. like, oh man,
1: Bottas is like, Bottas is the man. It's just the problem was he was driving alongside Lewis for so long. It's like, oh yeah, his his only bad like criticism for the last like four years was he wasn't as good as Lewis Hamilton, but actually yeah. he's very very good. Yeah. So I, I think agree. he could have done that and revived the the kind of reputation a bit, but we'll see. Obviously, the other part of the Perez Max thing is if anything does happen with, with Checo, I guess he can't refuse a team order now because they can say, well, we'll just put Daniel in the car. So, you know, smart from their point of view, smart from Daniel's point of view, because if if that does break up, it looks like he's the most obvious option to go back in there. Um, well,
0: That's what I've heard. A lot of people are saying, you know, Come the summer break next season, it will be it will be Max and Max and Daniel back together. I'm thinking, honestly, yeah. at this point, I'm not going to say no to anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'll, I've stopped I've stopped making these predictions. At the start of every year, somebody says to me, "We need an article for us to be in, like some some like really bold and wild predictions." I'm like, I, I can't make any of because <laughs> everything surpasses our expectations. But um, I think what would be interesting for that would be how much Red Bull are convinced that they'd be getting the old Daniel Ricciardo rather than the, the new yeah. one there was a quote from Christian Horner this year i forget exactly when it was but he said I, we asked him you know what what do you think of of daniel at the moment he's struggling and he said he's completely unrecognizable from the from the ricardo that that i managed at red bull you know he's like a different driver it's like he's not confident it's you know some of the pace just seems to have gone so whether they think timeout if if that situation does arise yeah. i'm not sure whether they'd put ricardo in the car if they thought we're getting kind of the Ricardo that was lacking in confidence and maybe mm. doubted himself a bit. I feel like they'd they need to see that he'd you know he'd, he'd taken a step. I don't know how you do that either because it's not that like they can put him in a practice run, you yeah. know, other than a few tests here and there. So um, but it'd yes. be great. That would be a great storyline. You know, imagine imagine Daniel coming back and then. Just winning a title with Red Bull after all this time, like what a story. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, fair. I'm asking for a lot there. You know, that's a that's a wild prediction, right there. But I mean, that is that's kind of obviously what the hope is for Ricardo, I guess, is that this I gets about so home. I
0: hate um so
1: yeah, same. And it's it's such a shame to not have him on the grid because him I at agree. his peak was just he was so good. So um, and I f- it's interesting as well. A lot of fans have come into it. A lot of them, a lot of I think a lot of drive to survive fans have a real special place in that heart four ricardo because he's such a star in that show
0: yeah
1: and then they've come in and other than monza they've, they're like oh i haven't really seen this guy at his best so f- for their sake i hope they can see it as well
0: oh god don't with the red bull matt daniel championship i would just it's everyone's <laughs> dream i think it's hard to hate daniel yeah. ricardo it really is yeah, I've,
1: like... I've, I've never met anyone who does
0: really um, no me neither well, i don't think yeah. i ever will that is a that's an experience i hopefully will never have
1: well, I think if somebody said to me, I hate Daniel Ricciardo, I'd be like, I think the problem is you, not, not, <laughs> not Ricciardo. Because I think I feel like it's difficult to, you know, with, with how he is. So I agree.
0: Um, I agree. Yeah. And I think it's been yeah. tough to watch him in a car that just does not suit him. He never got the hang of that McLaren. And I think it is interesting. You know, he is has in the last few years been the only race winner that McLaren has ever had. But then it's kind of what do you think is weighed more heavily, I guess? I guess it's the consistency that lando brings and that knowing that he will consistently for the most part be in the points be in q3 and i i suppose that in a way outweighs a race win um and so it's it will be interesting next year to see lando take on the role of that that more experienced driver i do wonder mm-hmm. you know oscar piastri is so different to daniel ricardo how is that going to work out
1: yeah that's a really good point to see i think um it, and and Lando's teammate will be fascinating because he's, I mean, he's still 23, 24, he's I think. So young, we, yeah. always, we forget how young all these guys are. I mean, Max yeah. has only just turned 24, or 25, and, you know, he's two time world champ, and you're like, this guy could win the next, like, you know, few championships. Um, Oscar's going to be interesting because I think it's the first time a driver has been written about so much before they've made their debut. Well I
0: agree but then I have a question for you having spoken to I'm sure you've spoken to him and the Alpine team a lot has he been still having to work with them as as their reserve driver and development driver since the announcement and and what do you think that that kind of relationship has turned into at this
1: point? Yeah so it was I think it was quite awkward because from Zanville onwards he was still when he was in the paddock, he would still be in Alpine gear (laughs) he because he was contractually obliged to be there you know with them I think they had a big testing program laid out for him. This is the other thing that Alpine were really kind of pissed off about was they paid all this money for this guy to have all these tests. The one thing they didn't check was his contract. You know, the <laughs> agent. So they cancelled that as soon as the you know the, the announcement came. Cancel
0: in. subscription.
1: Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like that, wasn't it? It's was like oh, I'm paying. I'm paying for this subscription. I've got to get rid of it. And then and what happened was on the sun on on the weekend in Abu Dhabi, he was in Alpine gear, and then. On the Monday, he dropped some stuff off at McLaren, and then he drove in the post-season test. Yeah. Um. So it was really clinical. It was like you know you, you end up going to the same paddock, you know, with the same trainer, etc. But he's just going to a different yeah. a different garage. So, I think it soured that relationship quite a bit. You know, they've they've backed him for quite a while, but it's a ruthless business, and Alpine, Al- Alpine, I think, have themselves to blame as much as anyone for you know if you if you think that this guy's the future of our of our team, make sure his contract. Is for more than one year you know make sure you've got him long term because otherwise you know other teams are going to steal him
0: you're right it's a ruthless business there's 20 seats and there are i mean i worked with an f2 team over abu dhabi as well and just being in the f2 paddock you know you realize there are so many drivers that could fill these seats and it's just mm-hmm. you know everything's got to come together You know from whether you're in a young driver academy and whether it's the right opportunity and whether you've got enough experience and i think it's sad when drivers don't keep their seats and i look here at the case of mick schumacher it's Mm. i think there was so much so much weight put on the schumacher name and so much expectation of mick and i'm not saying this is the end for him but i i don't know if i mean nicholas satifi for example has said i'm not coming back to f1 i wonder Mm. if mick schumacher will find another way in, in in a year or
1: two yeah, it's a shame about Latifi because, you know, I know he's everyone's favourite kind of whipping boy, but just such a lovely guy. Yeah, you know, I, so agree. I agree. But, but I think on the Latifi's side, you see it and you're like, yeah, that's probably fair enough. But Nick is an interesting one. I think Audi might be a little too far down the line. You know, again, the German, German nationality, the name Schumacher might appeal to Audi when they come in. Yeah. Um, the name thing's interesting because I think it's probably helped him and it's then hindered him because... I think he's probably had opportunities that he might not have got otherwise. Yeah. Um, but then with that has come the expectation of, well, this guy needs to perform. You know, I, I said to somebody um during the Abu Dhabi weekend when I was watching at home, I said, um, uh, if if we were talking about Mick Campbell or Mick Anderson, I don't think we'd be that surprised that he's leaving because you know, we'd be like, Oh, it's just some dude. This but is when you like this, <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, it's just it's just a guy called Mick and he's not really performing. <laughs> when it's Mick Schumacher. And we all love, you know, I I mean, I, the reason I cover Formula One is because I grew up, you know, I'd watch, I'd watch Michael Schumacher and I, you know, I had all the Ferrari gear every race. You know, I was one of these guys that wore like the hat when I was a kid, when I watched races. And so you you, you want to see it, you want to see him continue the story. So I hope the name is strong enough to keep him in Formula One. I think it would be nice to see him have one more chance. Um, his former out, you know, if you get two years in F1, that's a lot more than a lot of people get. I mean, look okay. at Nick DeVries He's obviously getting this chance, but he had he had one race. And he grabbed it, and you know he's now in Formula One.
0: And he's waited a long time. I mean, Nick is yeah. quite old. I mean, he looks about eighteen, but I think he's yeah. about twenty-nine or something. <laughs> I think
1: he's twenty-eight or twenty-nine. He was twenty-eight when he raced the Honda. Yeah, he might have had a birthday since, but yeah, and and he's one of the smaller guys as well. So when you walk past him <laughs> in the paddock, you're like, I agree. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, well, you're well, In Abu
0: Dhabi, um, one of the last times I walked past him, he was actually being wheeled um, on a tie oh, rack that. to Alpha Tauri tire rack thing. I kind of gave him a nod and I was like, yeah, you just love it. He was like, I really do. He looked like he was having the best time. <laughs>
1: yeah, his face, he was like, I can't stop this, so I might as well laugh my way through it, it and just make good. it good as well. We're
0: talking about Nick de Vries and it kind of brings me on to one of the last points I wanted to chat to you about which is the fact that there are going to be three rookies on the grid next season Nick being yeah. one of them of course Oscar Piastri and Logan Sargent as well what do you think they're going to be bringing to the table for each of their different teams
1: yeah I think it's, it's interesting because there's such a different mix of, of, of drivers there in terms of age and experience even though DeVries is a rookie he's been in Formula E you know he's obviously a world champion from Formula E before so I think for, for for the Red Bull program, he's actually a perfect way to fill and go into, into Gasly's, mm-hmm. Gasly's shoes. But then from Piastri and Sargent, you've got two guys that have obviously achieved a lot at junior level, but it will be their first real foray into into Formula One. Mm-hmm. Sargent, I I really hope he's successful. Obviously, there's the American aspect to it as well. I'm just I'm I'm worried maybe with him, maybe is it a year too early? Um but then again, if you you know if you're good enough, then the time never really really seems to matter. And then Piastri he's coming in with so much pressure expectation the way mclaren got him i think adds the pressure there but i think that um if he struggles against lando i think then a bit like when different teammates started struggling against max i think it becomes not so much is this driver struggling but Mm -hmm. is lando actually just incredibly good himself and kind of making these guys look bad but um they're all going into interesting positions and maybe it's the first time in a while i think it's the first time i've had three rookies in one year, for a while, I'm trying to remember the last Since time we had three.
0: Twenty yeah. nineteen,
1: yeah. And that's when we had Lando George, and they Alex. were like the
0: boy band, weren't they?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it. They were, and um, yeah, yeah, that's it. and they and they loved it. They like lent into it every week. So, um, and that was really good because that those guys obviously you know how talented they are. Um, we'll see if this one is is you know is still all three of them are still in in three or four years. But mm-hmm. I think all of them are talented enough to stay in. Sergeant maybe is in a is in a good position for him. He's at Williams and maybe the pressure's is not going to be there in the same way. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time. Like look at Mick, you know, you still have to you still have to keep your seat. You still have to prove you're you're good enough. So um yeah, a really a really interesting mixed bag there. I'm not quite sure who I would there's this rookie of the year which which Joe won this year, and he was like, "Well, I was the only rookie, so like, I don't oh, know if you yeah. saw that." They gave, gave him Rookie of the Year, and he was like, he was like yeah, know, Joe, "Who else was it going to be?" He was like, "Thanks very much. Um, I'm just going to put this on the mantle, please. So I, I mean, wouldn't I know. I think
0: he he is. I mean, yeah, yeah.
1: Is. I mean, factually, it is, he's it, is, it is been fantastic
0: as well. Yeah, I think. and he
1: was and he was good, wasn't he? Yeah, I liked yeah. him. Um, I think
0: he's had a few moments this season that have not really been spoken about too too much I mean getting a fastest lap point was oh you didn't get a point for it because he was outside the top 10 that's right yeah that's 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 so frustrating but I think having that and and you know the fact that both of those both of those drivers were so key in securing that p6 um you know I think they they have done an incredible job those two drivers
1: yeah, and I think um, Joe as well, the, the team are really impressed with what he did. And I think yeah. that's the key with when we go back to looking at Mick, the early impression you make as a rookie is so important because your team teams can get frustrated pretty quickly with a driver. And like you yeah. said, there are so many options in terms of who to turn to. that It's not like they're like, all right, we'll give this guy three years and hopefully in three years' time he's, he's good enough. There's a lot of reasons a team, you know, uh, I was surprised Haas went for Hulkenberg. I thought, really? Yeah. You know, like... I mean, you me know,
0: Kockenberg,
1: Kockenberg, you know, talented enough, you know, when he's driven. But at the same time, it's like, are you, I, I don't know. It's just, is he a long-term driver over Mick? So but it shows you, doesn't me. it? That when a team's mind, Yeah. When a team's mind changes and says, this guy's not the guy for us anymore. It's very difficult to convince them because I, I got the impression yeah. from about March of this year that Haas were like, don't think we're going to stay on with Mick. Then he had those two points finishes back to back races. I think it was Austria and Silverstone.
0: Silverstone, yeah.
1: And they were like, oh, maybe he's coming back. But then, you know, he was was already coming from the position of they already want me, not want me gone, but they're already kind of looking elsewhere. So for those three rookies coming in next year, you know, starting quickly and consistently is going to be key because, yeah, you know, you can get replaced pretty quickly. It's pretty It's pretty ruthless, isn't it? The more we talk about it, the more I'm like, <laughs> I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you know, to a degree I'm not a Formula One driver. I'm sad in a lot of other ways I'm not a Formula One driver. But <laughs> from that point of view, I wouldn't deal with that pressure very well, I don't think.
0: I completely agree. I mean, there's pressure from so many angles as a driver, from the public, from the team. Your results every single race weekend you have to deliver, and yeah, of course, you know, there's there's leeway here and there, but I think that's why it was interesting that they went, that Haas went for Nika Hulkenberg, you know, very famously a driver without a win, without a podium, um, in how many race, how many race starts has he had? I'm sure you uh, know this you one. You know what? I,
1: had, I had this tab up earlier, because really? I, now I can't find it on my computer. Many, gonna,
0: many race starts. It's
1: like 200 and something, no, could it, would it be 200? I'm gonna quickly pretend I'm not Googling it as we talk, <laughs> just full time. <laughs> I feel like it's like You're... 200 and something. I right something wrong. like
0: that. It's, it's crazy. No, 184,
1: I was way out. I mean, you were very still...
0: close. You were very close. I was I thinking
1: 210, but then I was thinking that's pushing to like, really let, like record breaking time. But yeah, but that, that is interesting. And maybe he suits Haas because Haas's mind right now isn't on that podiums. But I've always wondered that with Hulkenberg. I think he's talented, but my, my question with him is always in those pressure moments, you know, yeah. does he have the composure, et cetera, to, yeah, I
0: think the word that springs to mind for me with Hulkenberg is is potential. I think you know there's always been this mm. chat about he has so much potential, but at what point is the potential either fulfilled or? Yeah. But in a way, I suppose it is in another sense that he's a very solid driver and he has a mm. lot of experience. And I think those two could bash like bash heads a little bit, but I think you know they he's a he's a strong option for the team and it's kind of an option of, do we want a younger driver, maybe someone like Felipe Drogovic, or do we want someone that we know has experience? Um, And so I am interested to see how long that contract will last, how long he'll, you're right, how long he'll be with the team. I think he's one of the older drivers on the grid now. Um, He's 35
1: now. now, thirty-five. but you know, he's a
0: great guy. And I think Mm. whenever I've worked with Nico, one of the things that stands out for me is how genuinely authentic he is. You know, he's of course all the drivers are so media trained, but he brings a certain himness, if that makes sense to it, and it it really does change the way that you interact with him. And I, I think I am excited to see him back on the grid. Um, so well, we Holcomb
1: should... funny from a from a, a journalistic story kind of point of view. So when when I was when I was covering him as a as a driver, yeah. I found him to yeah. be quite standoffish because I, I remember at one, I think it was when he spun out in Germany, mm-hmm. he was second and he spun out the next race, I said, you know, does it, does it bother you when everyone brings up the podium statistic? And he, you know, I got this, I like, I felt like he was staring right through my, like through my He can legs. do
0: that. He can do that. Yeah.
1: And I was like, oh my word. And then from that point on, you know, I just never got an answer from him. But then fast forward, you know, 2020, 2021, we had him, we had a podcast during the lockdown, had him on. And I was kind of like, I was like, I hope he's okay. But he was great. You know, he'd, mm-hmm. he'd up a bit. And I think when, when drivers leave F1, and they come back in. Their perspective changes. And credit to him as well for staying around because yeah I think one of the things one of the things you can do to kind of kill your career off in Formula One anyway is to leave. In terms yes. of going to IndyCar, going to yes, Formula E, I agree. I, I think agree. Alonso was good enough that it didn't matter. You know mm-hmm. that he went away, but that's why it's good that Daniel Ricciardo I, he never wanted to go to IndyCar and NASCAR. Right now, for that reason, it's like once you've yeah. done that, boom. So. I think it shows you Hulkenberg made the right calls through his career, so we'll see yeah. what he does. Yeah, um, you're yeah, right.
0: I think Daniel would suit an IndyCar and not move. I, I, so many people oh, say that to me. They'd
1: love him there as well. But Can I think imagine?
0: not yet. They would. Oh, he would just be in heaven. But not yet.
1: Yeah, not yet. He's got time. And I think um, I said to him even. I said, "In I, I, I did a one Indy 500, which mm-hmm. was mad." Wow. The next race is always in Detroit and it's a lot quieter and I said okay. apparently that race you can literally walk from your like truck to the garage and have like two people come up to you and say hey. Oh <laughs> so wow. So I said I said that might be you know for for a Formula 1 driver used to the limelight it might be quite nice. Yeah. Um, but I can see that awesome. in maybe 5 10 years for him.
0: Oh, it's just so interesting, isn't it? I think we're going into... This This winter break will fly by and we'll be going into testing and car launches. Yeah, um, it does fly
1: by. It always... You get to testing, you're like, oh, or even the car launches and you're thinking, what do I do with my off-season?
0: I know, I know. And I think <laughs> um, that's when... We really start to see who's going to be fighting. I think next season, Mercedes, I don't know about you, but Mercedes, for me, will have really picked up. I think they're the team that's made the most progress for me um, this yeah, season. Same. And I, I'm intrigued to know what you think they can do next year as well.
1: Yeah, so I'm glad we can talk about Merck quickly because I wanted to kind of talk a bit about how impressive George Russell was yeah. you know, across the year. Like He was mm-hmm. so good. And I, I you know, I made a prediction at the start of the season. And I said, I think he'll start slowly and maybe come into it completely wrong. You know, he was on it from the beginning. <laughs> And I think that's really key because I think if Mercedes are in that position to challenge. Yeah. I think they've got two drivers that I would say that's the strongest driver lineup in Formula 1 if you look at it. You know, Russell you and Hamilton. You would or you
0: wouldn't?
1: I would. I would. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I would think I would think they're the strongest and I think it's difficult to to argue other ones just purely mm-hmm. because of how well they performed last year and you know Lewis is Lewis he's he's unbelievable. And Russell came in and I think Lewis probably had some bad luck that potentially cost him a few points but Russell still beat him and no one ever really does that. So um, if next year, if they can move forward, I think what will be interesting for them is managing that and making sure it doesn't turn into a situation like we talked about earlier where you actually have two drivers kind of going to war with each other. Um, But yeah, I'm actually a bit more confident in Mercedes taking the fight to Red Bull and Ferrari right now with that question mark around them. As much as I like the Leclerc and Sainz driver lineup. They made mistakes this year as well, you know, Mm -hmm. you can blame Benotto, but they made a bunch of mistakes themselves. So I'm I'm still not convinced. I wonder if if, if, if you're the same as me. I'm not convinced how strong that lineup is. I think they're both very good drivers, but I think they've both got clear weak points where Russell, I can't really see too many. And obviously Lewis barely has any with all those championships.
0: Yeah, I think you're so right. I mean, you know, it's true. The Ferrari drivers have also made errors of their own. And I think it's interesting to see how Lewis and Max fought versus how Max and Charles fought and I would say you know infamously Max and Lewis were very aggressive and there was there was a lot of moments that maybe went a little bit too far but there was the aggression there and I could see someone like George Russell kind of driving in that way as well I think for Charles yeah, this wasn't his year. And I think he needs to come back slightly more aggressive. And, and it's even seen Definitely. in small things like how George will talk to his engineers on the radio. You know, we need to do this plan and this strategy. You're right. I think yeah. he's he's got his head screwed on so tight. And I think learning from Lewis this season has been amazing. I think it is sad to see, you know, at the end of an era, this is the first season that Lewis hasn't won a race. And I think that says so much more than we think. And we're entering yeah, this new, exactly. you know, Lewis's dominance. Definitely could come back next season, but I think it's it's not guaranteed and I think that's what makes it interesting, especially when you look at how George Russell is now part of the team. Um yeah. and I do I do I do see big things for George Russell next year and Lando. I think Lando will take his first win next year.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I think Lando needs that. You know, obviously Sochi was just so kind of heartbreaking to see when that happened last year, not this year. Yeah. Um that's one I... of the
0: hardest races to watch back.
1: Yeah, it's just it was that you could, moment. <laughs> you could see it slowly crumbling apart, and then when he when he went wide just after that like horseshoe bit, you know, oh. and it was like, oh man, it is over. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're right about Lewis. And what was what was interesting was I know a lot of people who you know have, never, have always been kind of like, oh, I'm not really a big fan of Lewis. This year, when he wasn't winning, yeah, he seemed to he seemed to become a lot more kind of popular and endearing to people. And I think that yeah. shows that Formula One we we're, we're quite cynical about victory. We're quite cynical about drivers that are winning. When mm-hmm. Schumacher was winning. I I was a fan but a lot of people weren't fans and it was only Mm. when he came back with Mercedes you know and sadly you know with what's happened with him since then that people have become a lot more kind of pro Schumacher
0: I would say same with Seb as well you know Seb definitely had his people really disliked him and now he was like a pantomime
1: villain at Red Bull I hate that that guy (laughs) he's rubbish he sucks and Um, then he hasn't won a championship since then and everyone's like oh he's great he's the best yeah he's Which yeah so yeah I think it's also
0: the way that when I think it's the way when drivers aren't winning how they act and that to me says more about their sportsmanship than when they're top step of the podium every weekend you know when they can handle a loss well that says Mm. a lot to me and I think Yeah, Seb has is is one of the sport's greatest ever figures, and I think that was shown in his his last weekend in Abu Dhabi. I mean, being there, the atmosphere, especially around the Aston Martin garage, was just like nothing else, and that's something that I will never forget in in my career.
1: That Sounds so special to have been part yeah. of that. That's you know, that's kind of one, well, maybe not a once in a lifetime. There might be you know, Lewis and yeah. you know, Max, whenever those happen, but Don't. It, it felt, can't take anymore.
0: Like, yeah, it felt
1: like a um, it felt almost like the Sebastian Vessel Grand Prix, didn't it? It was, you know, it truly was. was in the front, But it was like really, I felt like the TV cameras, every chance they got, were like, let's see what Seb's doing, let's see what Seb's doing. And I didn't hate it, I was like, yeah, no, even. but the and,
0: cameras were truly everywhere. I mean, there were moments in the paddock in Abu Dhabi where I just was. You're just walking down suddenly out of nowhere a crew of about 12 people and you're just in the way and you're like mm-hmm. running left right and center so you're not in the shot because he's got to be nimble to be the 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 paddock these days
1: <laughs> because, and i'm i'm not you know i used to play rugby but i was one of the forwards and we're not renowned for being yeah. for being the most agile people so when you're walking through the paddock there's a camera here there's like three fans Honestly. trying to get a, selfie with a driver here and you're like so yeah well, well, they, thanks so thank much for having you, me on i really appreciated it of
0: course thank you so much for joining me it's been such a great chat i feel i feel better now i feel like it's all off my shoulders i can move on yeah.
1: yeah it was quite therapeutic this I felt like it was <laughs> yeah, like I a agree. therapy session especially um, the Ferrari bits I'm like I'm calm now it's, it's it's out of my system before Christmas
0: okay give me your prediction for who you think will take over before we end
1: oh I think I'm gonna go boring and say for sir as much yeah, as I'd love Seidel I think he's just the most obtainable team principal you I think agree. so I yeah. agree
0: well we'll see. have to see Nate thank you so much for joining me have an amazing winter break and I'll see you next season
1: you too thanks very much
0: well, there we go, guys. That wraps up the end of the 2022 F1 season pretty nicely, if you ask me. There is so much in this conversation that I think that I want to even expand on even more and dive into some of the discussions that we've had and the debates that we've had um, throughout this podcast. It's been a true honour to chat to Nate. Um Make sure you go and check him out on socials as well. Guys, I will see you very, very soon. Have an amazing day, night, wherever you are. I'm sending you lots and lots
1: of love. And all to you very very soon. Bye!